Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. If you want to learn tennis, play with people who are better than you. That's something I learned when I was young, and I apply that lesson to a lot of things in my life. I've always tried to surround myself with musicians who knew things I didn't know, people from whom I could learn things. That's been one of the greatest things about recording these Wheels Off conversations. In the one you're about to hear, I speak to Joe Pernice, who is one of my favorite songwriters and singers the Pernice Brothers, Scud Mountain Boys, Chappaquiddick Skyline. He, he's got a lot of a lot of different musical personae, but it's always him. It's such a distinct voice, both you know physically, like his, the actual sonic voice, his singing voice, but his voice as a writer is so distinct and so cool and beautiful and real. And all that comes through in the conversation you're about to hear. Um, talking to him is, uh, let me put it this way. He thought about becoming a professor. And whenever I talk to Joe, I get that. I almost feel like um, I'm his student and I'm you know, studying everything he says, learning from him. I love it. I love that I'm finally able to interview him for Wheels Off. Uh, he's got a brand new record out where he covers Barry Manilow songs, um, songs made famous by Barry Manilow, uh, which is kind of funny. And as we talk about in the interview, it's not ironic. He's just, you know, finding the beauty in these songs that other people might turn their nose up at. Anyway, Joe Pernice is is a good friend of mine, um, but I've never really gotten to just sit down and uh, pick his brain unapologetically like I get to do right now for Wheels Off. Please welcome Joe Pernice. Welcome to Wheels Off, Joe Pernice. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rhett. It's great to be here. 
Dude, I'm so excited to talk to you. You're in Toronto, Canada, right? Ontario right now. I am. This very. How long have you lived there? Uh, it's 2012. I think I moved here in 2005. I moved here late 2004 unofficially, but I had to leave because I didn't have my residency down. So, you, you know, you can't stay. I had to keep going in and out. But I think I became a permanent resident of Canada in 2005, maybe a year Late 2005. It took about a year to do. And did you have to be married before you could do that? Um, I don't know if you technically do, but I was. It's yeah. a lot easier when you have, you know, my wife's Canadian. So I, she was my sponsor because I, you know, I didn't, when you don't have a visa, you can't work. So you don't technically have a job here. So someone has to sponsor you, which would be my wife. It's funny. These are all questions that are coming up because my 14-year-old daughter is begging to move to Canada. I've been hearing quite a bit of that. Uh, I've, been, sure. I, I've had adults ask me to adopt them. I was like, dude, you're over 18. I don't, and I'm married. But so I, it's more like a marriage would work. But I'm already I'm, I'm, I'm once is plenty. <laughs> um, so what are you working on right now? And how is it lighting you up, Joe? Well, I just released a record the other day, but for me, once a record is mastered and mixed and all that, I'm gone. I don't even think about it anymore, but I am, uh, I'm just recording another album right now. I got a bunch of songs. I'm actually, I think I'm making a country record. I'm just not, uh, I wasn't planning on it, but the songs were just coming. So I'm just going to go with it and they just keep coming. And I, you know, I was watching clips of Robert Duvall singing in tender mercies and it just started blowing my mind. And then, you know, listening to Blaze Foley and some, you know, Towns Van Zandt stuff. And uh, it just started really lighting a fire under me that I hadn't felt in, you know, a, a number of years, really. Well, the the Barry Manilow record is is super beautiful. It's just you oh, and, a, and a nylon string guitar. I, mean, I think I, it's this one right here. I, I keep it I was, in my kitchen. I was guessing. Um, God, that's – and it sounds just so beautiful. Thanks. You know, I was a big fan of yours for years before we ever became friends. And and it's so funny to me, the dichotomy between the delicate voice and this sort of <laughs> deep writerly way you've always had about you, you know, the, the MFA and poetry and all that mm. stuff. But um, but then when I met you and I realized that you're like this gruff Massachusetts. I probably mouth. said fuck about 30 times the first time we met. <laughs> Do you remember the first time? Because I, I have a very good memory. And... I actually think I know, I know it was in January of 1996 in Athens, Georgia, yeah. and the tour ended in, we weren't on tour with you, the Scud Mountain Boys, but my tour ended in Detroit, Michigan on January 11th. So we were in Athens, I'm going to say it was somewhere around January 8th. Yeah. 1996. I was wondering whether you would count that because I don't remember... I mean, I remember being super excited to play with the Scuds because I was a fan, but I didn't know if it would land with you. You seemed like... Oh, I remember clear as day. Okay. Okay. You had short hair and big glasses. <laughs> yeah. And now you have bigger hair and no glasses <laughs> or longer hair. That's right. Um, oh, that's those Scuds days. Uh, it's funny, though, because, I mean, I really I see such a straight line between the work you're doing now and those early records. I mean, your voice, like as a writer and as a and even just like with this new Manilow record with the the what you choose to the songs you're choosing to cover. I mean, it's 
it's this really heartbreaking thing. Is that intentional? I mean, do you want to be the king of sadness? <laughs> That's pretty funny. I just read the thing you said about me being a sad guy, but I'm really not like you mentioned me in a thing. I'm I'm not even at all. But I, I don't know. Um, I think certain songs just always spoke to me. And with the Barry Manilow stuff, these songs in particular, I've always like loved those songs. And and I think uh, I think I've always gone for the song. I mean, I love production. And I can overlook a lot of schlock. In fact, I probably used quite a bit of schlock in my own production. But I've, I can overlook it, and I just look for the song. And those songs always meant a lot to me. They were, blew my mind as a younger guy. And, uh, and I only recorded the ones that I really, really loved. So I picked them in a way that was like this one is more effective or this is a better song than another. I just picked the ones that I really loved. And, uh, and it, and I mean, outside of like, when you think of Barry Manilow outside of like, uh, even Copacabana, which is a sad story. Most of his songs are kind of downers, even the big hits, you know? And, uh, and how does that relate to me? I just think those songs speak to me. I mean, you, you know, you're, we, we like similar things. You know what it's like. Um, I'm not trying, I guess, to do anything. I'm just trying to feel connected to the music I make and try to, uh, to evoke the thing I'm feeling in other people. And, you know, it just happens to be something that could, is less than ecstatic. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it's funny how much that comes up in these conversations, the sort of the um, the the evil that is um, calculation, like when you try really hard to figure out, like like you're saying, even in your choice of Manilow covers, like uh, I didn't do these. I, uh, you only picked the songs because they spoke to you, not because you thought they would work or yeah. you know, whatever. I don't think any of them would work, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a, it's me playing a nylon string guitar, Barry Manilow's songs. I mean, in some circles, that's a fucking colossal bullseye for people to say this is bullshit. But uh, <laughs> but I tried to I tried. There's no irony involved. I mean, I mean it. No. If you if that, and if someone, you know, judge me as you might. But uh, but anyway, I interrupted you. Sorry, sorry for that. <laughs> no, no, no. That's exactly what I wanted. And and it's I knew as soon as I saw that you were going to do it, that it wasn't going to be ironic because I don't I mean, you're I don't know. Uh, full disclosure. I know you pretty well. You are an incredibly funny guy, like just like <laughs> for I, I would recommend anybody go out there and find uh, your novel. Feel so good when it what's it feel so good when it stops. It feels so good when I stop. When I stop. Oh, my Which God. Which, of course, is the is the punchline to that joke right the yes. guy is whacking himself in the head with a hammer and someone says why are you doing that because it feels so good when i stop <laughs> yeah i like humor more than probably to be honest with you you know i like a joke as much as i like a good song so anyway um yeah but so but i knew but even knowing that or maybe because i knew that i knew that you wouldn't be doing those barry manilow songs because you thought it was funny it was because they're beautiful. And it's funny. I, I don't want to wonk out too hard on the music stuff of it. But the Barry Manilow songs, first of all, he didn't write many of those, did he? Not many at all. I think of the songs I did, I think he wrote the lyrics to uh, uh, 
one of them. I think Could It Be Magic is the only song in the, in the music is Chopin. So that song is, you know, uh, that, that I believe is the only one that I did that he wrote. And of the massive hits he wrote, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think they were all written by other people. Yeah, including I Write the Songs, ironically. Yeah, what's his name from the Beach Boys? Oh, that's, that's uh, Bruce. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I, uh, come on. Well, uh, uh, someone out there typed it. You know, he, he came in late. Bruce, I'm going to look at Bruce Johnson. From okay. The Beach Boys wrote that. That's hilarious. Um, but there's something musical about those songs where I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're if, like it's are there modulations or there's a lot of that major to minor stuff that happens. But they're like they're really interesting musically. There's oh, a lot. The, of the chords are pretty complex in a lot of the cases. Like, you know, I, I still don't have them completely under my fingers. Like I'm going to, I'm going to play some shows of those songs, but you know, you know how it is when there are songs you could play while you're thinking about like, Oh, did I pay my credit card last week? <laughs> you're on stage thinking, Oh, do I, did I leave the gas on or something? Right. While you're going through a song. These ones are not set in forget <laughs> tunes. These require actual. So I actually have to do a little work when I play these songs. They're, oh. they're quite complex in some cases. Well, I love that you just pulled the curtain back because I think about that a lot. It's <laughs> been a long time since I've done a show on on a, on a real stage, but that's something I don't think people realize is that people like you and me, we can stand on a stage singing a song and also thinking about any number of grocery list items. Oh, God. It's it's really true. And and you've probably done it, too, I'm sure, where someone will say, hey, play this song and you have not played it in a million years. And I've found the best way to get through those songs that you don't know is absolutely black out and not think about it and just let your memory, hopefully your muscle memory will go to them. And in, the, in a lot of cases, it happens, you know, where you just your hands and your mouth will just do it. And you are just kind of sitting back thinking, thank Christ. I feel like I'm in a <laughs> shopping cart going down a steep hill, right? And it, I hope it make it down in one piece. And it oftentimes does. Boy, there's so many third verses where I'll go into it. And, and in, as the guitar solo wraps up or whatever, I'm going, there's no way I can do this. I don't know the verse. I don't know. But I do what you just described. And I go, yeah. my, ma my mouth will know. And Shut off. 90% of the time. Yeah. I've so, written stuff as I'm going. I've rewritten them as I've gone along, too, because sometimes you come up dry, right? <laughs> so you're like, ah, shit, I better make up something on the next. Uh, or or I've literally, when I think about it too much, I'll be thinking, the bridge is coming up in six bars. I don't have any idea what chord that bridge starts in. <laughs> and, some, you know, sometimes you get it and sometimes, you know. You stop it on live, live air, like I did on the BBC one time, on a live, like you know, it's like a drive home show, or I don't know. This is a lot of driving in London. Maybe it's the the tube home show. Yeah. And I was playing with James Walborn, and we literally on live radio clammed up a song so bad and went into a laughing fit that they went to a commercial, which was it was pretty oh. funny actually. <laughs> that was a good time. Boy, it's funny, right? There's like a live performance for me when there's no recorded component, like it's not TV or live radio. It's pretty hard to get very nervous. But those situations, the live radio and live TV, that gets a little that's the most nerve wracking, right? Uh, for me, yeah, I don't I don't really do live radio anymore just for that reason, because, you know, 
my mind will even wander when it shouldn't wander. You know, it wanders sometimes when I need it to, but sometimes I just, you know, it goes and you, you, you know, you think you stop the show dead, right? <laughs> yeah. It could, it could happen. Just a regular guy, right? Just a regular guy. Just a uh, so, regular guy. Speaking of which, you you're a Massachusetts kid, and um, when you were, when you were young, was this? Because I know you studied writing, like proper, you know, prose and poetry mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Did was that always secondary to music? Did you know you were no. going to do music? How did you no. come into this? I always loved music. I, my brother, who I play with, has been playing guitar forever. He's older than me. And even when I was a kid, he played all the time. And for some reason, I was never, I loved singing and I loved sitting around doing songs with him, but I never had much interest to play an instrument. I was always a gearhead as a kid into motors and motorized things and bicycles and racing and all that stuff. I loved listening to music. I loved singing music. Never had any interest in touching an instrument till I was probably maybe 16 years old, I think I, I started playing. And even then, I took to it pretty quickly and I, I loved it, but I never really thought I wanted to be a musician outside of like those rock star, you know, you wanted the girls and the fame when you were a teenager, but I never thought of music as a craft or uh, or anything that would give me any kind of intellectual pleasure. I just never thought about it that way. And when I went to college, university, um, I was a terrible engineering student for a few years. Uh, you know, engineering, I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. And uh, and I started to get a calling to do more writing, uh, prose and poetry. And so I, I switched my major to English, then went on for a master's in fine arts, which included a lot of literary criticism. And my, go- my idea at that time was to be a professor, a professor, uh, mostly because I didn't want to work. And I figured, you know... I could be a professor and take the summers. And uh, when I am honest with myself, I think that was my biggest motivation for that. Uh, And then I kind of, I joined a band, the Scud Mountain Boys, while I was in graduate school. And we made two albums that were, I mean, we didn't even really know we were making records. So we just, one word, the first record we made was Pine Box, which was... uh, were demos we were thinking we might go into another studio and so we did them we thought they were demos on a four track live to a four track and then we finally did go into the a new adat studio remember when adats came out and someone was like whoa the, the media is only 15 bucks remember buying tape like two inch tape was hundreds of dollars yeah anyway we recorded some we recorded the record again it just didn't have any of the vibe or sound or feel we kind of said, screw it. And a local guy put him out, put that out. And then we made another record very soon after. But n- never really with the idea of making a record. It kind of was just a thing we did. And then it blew up. And at that point, I was into when I signed, when we signed to Sub Pop in 95, I think. I think that was the year. I think I had a year left on my master's degree. And at the time, uh, James Tate, the poet, was my was the guy at the school, and he was very into music. He loved music, and he loved like David Berman and I were there at the same time. And he'd pull us both into his office, and he'd want to hear everything about the music business and talk about contracts. And he was, I love talking to Tate because 
among being just being a really excellent and brilliant person. Uh, he was always astounded because, you know, back in the 90s, we were getting real money to make records, right? Yeah. He was winning the National Book Award and selling 4,000 copies or, you know what I mean? It was was criminal. (laughs) It was criminal. But anyway, right around that time when record companies started swarming and I realized, boy, I I love writing songs. Like I, it, it, it was a pleasure that I had never had before. And, and things switched for me right then. I almost didn't finish my degree because I had made it up my mind that I was going to pursue this music instead of writing. So a long-winded answer to your question is music was almost not my focus until it became my full focus. I didn't even really enter as a career or as something as a as a vocation until it was really happening to be honest with you and then it happened heavy can you put your finger on what uh was it like the marriage of um the 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 experiential aspect of music being something that can happen to you while you're living your life but also like it there's prose in it like the the yeah. the word like what how was poetry for, for me more than prose. I was a my my. So you're, yeah. I liked poetry. That was my focus as my MFA. I certainly learned a lot about editing and compression and metaphor and simile. I wouldn't say I learned a lot, but I had the chance while I was doing my MFA to experiment with things, and I think I became a sharper writer. And then I was able to. I remember the immediacy of like the pleasure of hitting a G chord on a, on a nice acoustic guitar when you're really given it like that goes right through you. That is an immediate thing. And for music, music for me, uh, the payoff was instantaneous. Like for writing, there's a ton of, you know, I've written a couple novels and even though you, for me, when I engage with the writing, it's, it's something, but it's a slower burn, and it does not have the immediate payoff for me that making music does. And I think that's why I write a lot of songs, because I love the process. It's over fast, and I'm on to the next one over and over and over. And, you know, you could spend, I mean, my last real book I wrote took me probably seven or eight months of writing where I didn't do anything else. And Though that was enjoyable, uh, I don't know if I'm that kind of person who wants to be that isolated for that many hours a day, for that many days a week, for that many weeks a a year. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Music, you can come in and out. You can work for three, four hours a day, and the next day it can be something completely different. So it's uh, maybe that speaks to my short attention span or something or my Maybe it speaks of a kind of addictive lifestyle where I need to have a payoff really quick and often. Yeah. So you bring up the short attention span and the potentially addictive personality. Mm. Um, I'm always interested in seeing how creative people deal with um, the kind of internally generated obstacles that um, that aren't obvious to people. Like, I don't, you know, it's, it's funny because I talked about you um, what a, uh, being such a fan of yours and having this image of who you must be uh, and then meeting you and realizing that who you really are is so wildly different from the, the image I constructed. So I just wonder, like, how do you deal with 
when it gets hard in your head or, you know, mm. what, what, do I, you, what are your I, tricks? I make sure I get a good night's sleep, to be honest with you, because I think uh, that to me, if you can, for me, if I can sleep through something and wake up and have a clear head, I can start with a, it, things go fresh. Like there is, my wife is fantastic. I have my, without my wife, I'd be a mess for sure. Like, you know, if I, there's probably a million times when I thought I should do something else. Maybe I, there's something else I should do. And she could easily say, yeah, why don't you try that? But she never does. And she's, you know, so I can't say enough about that. And I think, uh, um, but when I do have those moments of, uh, doubt or whatever i think i just ride them out you know you have to come out the other side and so far i've continued to come out the other side again i try to get a really good night's sleep you know <laughs> i'm not kidding i'm not kidding because yeah. i i will have insomnia too i i've had bouts where i don't sleep for two weeks where <sighs> i sleep for an hour or two you know it hasn't happened in quite a while uh but that can for me that can really uh, make you question a lot of things you might not otherwise question you know i, I don't find like some people i'm into i'm into like restoring and building mechanical things like bicycles i have a bicycle collection and i find like cleaning a bunch of ball bearings from an old nickel plated hub very relaxing i don't know if that centers me i have i don't know if it's how important that is to me, but I will say those little micro victories add up, you know, like they probably do, you know, you have a good, uh, you, I, I do a good amount of meditating now. So I try to, you know, not to use the mindful word, but I try to be aware of what I'm doing and, uh, and all of that helps. Um, so I think, you just have to find those little things. Like I, I'm big into cycling now and I find that really clears my head. Does that help? I'm sure it does, but I can't quantify it exactly for you. But I think that those are all things. I haven't looked at a television in seven or eight months. And oh I love God. television. I mean, I loved television. I don't read the news. I stay out of all that. And I find that eliminating, you know, a constant barrage of negativity or even just information has probably helps helps my creativity. I can't deny that one bit. Oh my God. I love that. I love the idea of micro victories. Yeah. That's well, just as, you know, just as when people have breakdowns, like I've had bouts of depression where I can't, you know, I've, I've had that my whole life where I can't, um, attribute say a, a a depressive period with any event because i have a wonderful life i have a charmed life but i really do think it's the you know you a battering ram doesn't knock down the door with one blow it weakens it over time blow by blow by blow by blow and you know you can't you might not be able to uh, quantify the damage of each blow, but when the door breaks down, the door breaks down. So I think that's kind of the world I live in. So I try to replace all those little micro, you know, aggressive, micro damaging things with micro positives. 
You know? I, I love that. It's funny because uh, it comes up a lot, the sort of um, the meditative aspect that is the uh, act of creation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, you talk about like actual meditation, which is something that, that I studied too and still use some in my life. But I even feel like just the act of the G chord, just sitting there and strumming your guitar, writing a song, there's a meditative yeah. thing. No question. No question about it. But I, I think. I think about you with your um, 30 miles, 40 mile bike rides every day. That's got to help you sleep. I think so, but not as well as you think. I rode 192 miles last week because I I keep a log of it. So last week I did 192 miles and I didn't two nights last week. I slept four hours. So, but, but that's okay. Uh, You know, I have other ways of, of dealing with it, but, and, uh, I don't know. Who knows? The mind's a crazy thing, man. I've had like apnea tests. I have none of that. I have yeah. no like, I have none of that. I just, I think I, I wake up sometimes and I enjoy being alone at three in the morning or two in the morning. I'll get up and make a decaf and read something or like, or watch a video on, you know, the Giro Italia from 1973. I, I love that. I mean, I love that. I love my time too. So it's not all bad. It's just that when, exhaustion makes your mind do kooky things yeah and it gives you a short short temper and makes you not Does as it ever sh- sharp not yeah. me though not me red i'm always I'm, <laughs> ask my wife and son i'm always a wonderful person i'm wonderful um all right so finally if you were to run across a 21 year old version of joe pernice working in today's world what advice would you give yourself huh probably relax just don't take things you know things that are that seem life and death or seem super important at the time really aren't you know and and i was thinking about my own son now who's 14 and how during all of this covid stuff and how the school year is thrown on its ear and you know they're not getting you know the education is you know uh what's the word I'm looking for limited or handy, uh, what's the word hamstrung or something who cares a year out of, you know, what's a year out of all this, you know what I mean? And, and hopefully when all this is in the past, like missing or school being interrupted for eight months will mean nothing, you know, like just relax a little bit, relax. I would tell myself not to take it all too seriously. Um, get a good night's sleep <laughs> yeah boy I, I i love that you it's funny i didn't know you where you were going to go because I, I mean i've got a 14 year old daughter and a 16 year old son and and for me i keep thinking oh this is heartbreaking they're having she's having her freshman year of high school stolen from her but your idea of who cares it doesn't none of this matters so much well I yeah love, i don't mean i like that yeah no, i mean in the long run i think okay like my son and his friends you know i was thinking oh they don't hang out you know we kind of let him go online and he talks to they have play a video game for an hour and it's like hanging out think of how much goofy shit you did as a 14 year old that was probably pointless that you were sitting around doing dumb shit where it didn't really you know it didn't educate you outside of like you know it helped you socialize with your friends and they're they're smarter than us they'll do it their own way anyway so i think uh i think relaxing for me is the key and i would tell my 21 year old self 
relax and uh, get out of that relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember at the time thinking, no, it's good that I'm in an unhappy relationship because you get so many songs out of it? No, that's bullshit. I I agree that it's bullshit, but it was such a story I told myself back then. No, it's bad. Maybe in the, maybe when you're, when you're feeling better and everything's good, you can mine all that old (laughs) stuff for, for material but let's face it i don't really find anything helpful about being unhappy you know it's like people saying oh there's so much great music is going to come out of a really horrible administration running the country that's a load of horseshit you know what i mean if that's not how it works for me I'd, i'd much rather be in a good mood than in a bad mood you know well, I love talking to you, and I wish I lived closer to you, and I thank you for joining me for Wheels Off today. Right on, Red. It's my pleasure. Always great to talk to you, and when you come up here, I love seeing you. We've had sushi a few times, if I recall. It's all More to good. come. God, More I hope come. that happens. Exactly. It, it's going to come. We're not, yeah. It's coming. We just yeah. have to, you just got to get through it, which we will. All right. Cool, well, thank man. you so much. Take care, Joe. Thank you. You too. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.